Welcome to the Ryan Waldis Sports Podcast. It is Monday, July 9th, 2018. Second week of the Ryan Waldis Sports Podcast. We had a very good first week last week. It featured a lot of good discussion. We also got on my good friend Nick Halper for a couple of those days on July 4th and 5th. I want to thank you all for the support so far. This is going a lot better than I thought it would when I initially started out, so I want to thank you all for that. Some big news with the podcast. You can now find it on Spotify. I learned that over the weekend, coincidentally, like right after I recorded uh, the Friday edition, the Friday episode of the Ryan Wallace Sports Podcast. You can now find it on Spotify. All you have to do is search my name and then it'll pop up under the little podcast option. You can also go to my Anchor page to see where my podcast is offered. Currently, you can hear it on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Stitcher, and as I just said, Spotify. Hopefully, we'll get Apple and maybe a couple more options in the very near future, but that was the big news of the weekend. You can now find the Ryan Waldus Sports Podcast on Spotify, which is uh, which is really exciting. I was very excited to get that email in my inbox from Anchor. It said, hey, your podcast is now available on Spotify. So I was very happy to, to see that. That was one of my, uh, my favorite parts of the weekend, just getting this podcast on Spotify. As I said, second week of this podcast, as you can tell, we're doing a Monday through Friday, uh, at least for now. I don't know if that'll change in the future, but for now, uh, you can listen to this Monday through Friday. I'll have some stuff to talk about. Uh, it's not as gonna, it's not going to be as eventful as the first episode of the Ryan Waldo Sports Podcast was when we talked about things like LeBron going to the Lakers and Paul George going to OKC, along with the, uh, the John Tavares rumors, but... Uh, still still some stuff to talk about today on the podcast. We're going to start with Major League Baseball. We'll talk definitely about the All-Star rosters that were announced yesterday. And also something that I touched on with Nick Halper that I never really got into later in that interview. Uh, we're going to touch on that as well. Hit the NBA uh, a little bit. There's a couple things I want to talk about uh, with a couple of free agents that are, that are out there. And finally, we will end with NASCAR. As I said, I end the podcast with NASCAR on Mondays and Fridays just because I know that it's a very niche community. So I know not everyone really cares. So that's why I end the podcast with NASCAR. That way, in case you don't want to listen to it, you can just leave and you, and you won't miss anything. So that's that. MLB, NBA, NASCAR. That's what today's podcast is is looking like. So we will start with Major League Baseball. Yesterday, the all-star rosters for both leagues were announced, both the M the NL and the AL, the starters, the reserves, the pitchers, all that, they were announced yesterday at 7 p.m. So the first thing we're going to do, we're just going to go over the starters and just we'll, we'll see if they got it right, the fans. Obviously, the fans determine who the starters are, and then the players and the commissioner uh, and the manager, they they determine who else makes the, the all-star roster. So we'll start in the National League because that's where my favorite team plays, the Phillies. They're a National League team. Taking a look at the starters, so at catcher, you'll have Wilson Contreras from the Chicago Cubs. First base, Freddie Freeman from the Braves. Second base, Javier Baez from the Cubs. Third base, Nolan Arenado of the Rockies. Shortstop, Brandon Crawford from the Giants. And your three outfielders will be Nick Markakis of the Braves, Matt Kemp of the Dodgers, and Bryce Harper of the Washington Nationals. Of course, Washington is hosting the All-Star Game this year. The uh, They got it right, first of all. The fans got it right. You, you could make a case maybe for JT Real Muto to, to be the starting catcher over Wilson Contreras, but you know you can't really go wrong, um, to be honest. Uh, it, a lot of people were up in arms. So the big the big issue it seems like a lot of people had with the, the All-Star starters was that Bryce Harper is is starting in for the National League. Uh, 
Uh, and I understand that uh, completely. You you look just at the, the base statistics. Uh, he's he's hitting 218, and that's what a lot of people were referring to. It's like, oh, how is this guy who has a 218 batting average? How did he somehow start the All Star game? And and that's fine. It's fine to think that some people are saying, oh, see, this is why fans shouldn't vote. This is why the fan vote should be done away with because guys like Bryce Harper can get in hitting only 218. It, it really comes down to the new way of thinking when it comes to baseball. Like, yeah, sure, he's hitting 218, but y- you look at some of his underlying statistics, the, the Sabre metrics, um, some people would say the advanced statistics. His BABIP is right now at 228. Now, a lot of that is because of the way teams are playing him defensively with the shift. A lot of times he's hitting right into the shift. So his BABIP is really low, and it's going to stay that way for until he learns to adjust somehow. Uh, until he learns to adjust to the shift, his BABIP is always going to be low, and as a result, his batting average is probably going to be low. Now, once he does adjust to that shift, or once he starts getting a little more luckier, that batting average, it, it'll go up. We've seen in the past, like last year, for example, he had a batting average of 319. You go back to, to 2015, he had a batting average of 330. His career batting average is 278. So this is, it's he's getting really unlucky this year. Is part of it because he can't adjust to the shift? Yeah, that's part of it. But just in general, he's getting very unlucky this year up at the plate. So it's not really fair to just look at his batting average and say he doesn't deserve to to make the All-Star team. You look at his on-base percentage of 374. He's still drawing a walk 19.6% of the time while only striking out 23.5%. You look at the slug percentage of 472, and you look at his WRC+, plus, which is basically a, it's, it's a better indicator of how how valuable a player is on offense. So 100 is, is league average for WRC plus he's at 122. So he's done 22% better than the league average. Is that worthy of being an all-star starter? You know, that's up for debate. Uh, he has a weighted on base average of 356. He has 21 home runs and 50 and 50 RBIs. So he has the counting stats definitely to back this up. It's, is that worthy of being an all-star starter? I I think it is. I think there's a case to be made that, you know, is he contributing in the batting average department? No, but is he contributing in, in other areas of the game? Abs- absolutely. He's he's still been a valuable player this year, despite what some people may say. Defensively, he has not been very good this year, which has been kind of surprising. You take a look. Now, I'm not the I'm not a huge fan of defensive metrics, um, at least some of them. You take a look at his UZR um, per 150 innings. In center field, he's right now at a negative 9.4. And in right field, he's at a negative 16.5. Overall, he's at a negative 14.9. Um, but it's, you know, it's he's still finding ways to contribute. Would I have him starting? You know, maybe not. There, there's other options out there. You can make a case for a guy like a Lorenzo Cain, who we'll get into in a second, to, to start over Bryce Harper. But it's overall, he has a case to, to be an all-star starter. It's not just because he, they're playing in his in his home ballpark. There's a case that even though he's not maybe contributing in batting average, he's contributing in in a lot of different ways. So I was fine with Bryce Harper. I'm a big fan of Bryce Harper, and I, I know I'm not supposed to say it as a Philadelphia fan. I'm supposed to say that this guy's a punk, and I would never want him on my team, and he doesn't play baseball the right way. I know I'm supposed to say all that, but I love Bryce Harper, and if the Phillies go out and get him this offseason, I would be thrilled. Uh, you know, People, as I said, they, they look at the batting average. There's way more to baseball, especially in 2018, than batting averages. That's the one, like, there's not a lot that pisses me off. But one of the things that pisses me off a lot is when you, you look at, like, Facebook comment sections or Twitter replies, and anything like that. And, you know, for example, starting lineup is released. You're like, oh, why is this guy batting here? He's only hitting, like, 220 something. 
or whatever. Whereas if you actually look a little further, you say, oh, well, he might only be hitting 220, but his on-base percentage is in like that top tier of players, or he's just contributing in a bunch of different ways, or or he's getting unlucky. The casual fan doesn't see that, which is upsetting. And it's typically like, I I, I don't want to place every one of these people into one large group because I know it's not like that, but it's typically that older fan base that's really into those basic statistics, that older fan base. And as I said, I can't stress this enough. I know it's not everyone, but that the older fan base, they, they want their batting average. They want their home runs. They want their runs scored in RBIs. And then for pitchers, they want their wins and they want their ERA and they want their saves. That's seemingly all those that group cares about. Whereas now it's it's 2018. You know, back in you know the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, you know those stats meant a lot. But now we have so much more at our fingertips to see how truly valuable a player is. Like it's great that a player can hit 300, but if his on base percentage is only 330, is he really that valuable? If he's only hitting a ton of singles and not doing anything else, it doesn't matter that he's hitting 300. No, it doesn't matter. What? Whereas you know, you look at a guy like a Bryce Harper, he's hitting 218, but he's getting on base at a 374 clip. That's very valuable. His WRC plus is 122. That's valuable. So it's I, I urge, especially if you're in that group, I urge you to just start to at least become more open to the advanced statistics that we have at our fingertips. It's such a better way to determine how valuable players are instead of just saying, oh, this guy doesn't have a good batting average. Oh, he's he doesn't have a lot of RBI. Or you look at pitchers. Oh, this pitcher, he doesn't have a lot of wins, so he can't be that good. I urge you, please, it's my request, look look at some other statistics to, to make that assumption. But that's – how do we get on that topic? Bryce Harper, right, yeah. So uh, there's a case for, for Bryce Harper to start. I'm fine with him starting. I, I'm not as up in arms about it as a lot of other people are, uh, seemingly, in the in the Major League Baseball landscape. Moving now to the American League with the starters, this this was uh, this was mostly fine. You have Wilson Ramos of the Rays at catcher, Jose Breu of the White Sox at first base, Jose Altuve of the Astros at second base, so an all-Jose right side of the infield, Jose Ramirez, so three Jose's in the starting lineup, uh, Jose Ramirez of the Indians, he'll be at third base. Manny Machado of the Orioles is at shortstop. Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Aaron Judds, they are in the outfield. And then your DH is J.D. Martinez of the of the Red Sox. Not really too many complaints here. You could make a case that Matt Olson of the Oakland Athletics could start at first base over Jose Breu. But other than that, uh, it's everything was fine. You could also make a case maybe for Francisco Lindor to start over Manny Machado, but... Everything was fine here in the American League for the for the most part. Ramos uh, gets a well-deserved All-Star bid. The catcher position uh, in the in the American League was very weak this year, so it's you know there weren't a ton of options. So I think Ramos is a solid one. Obviously, Altuve is going to be in there. Ramirez is going to be in there. Uh, Trout, Betts, and Judge that that was a given. They they are uh, among the best outfielders, not just in the American League but in all of baseball. So the American League All-Star starters they were they were fine. Not not too much uh, controversy uh, around them. So now you take a look at the the pitchers and reserves. We will go back now to the to the National League. So the pitchers that made the team, we'll start with them. You have Max Scherzer, and the, as as I said earlier, the pitchers are determined either by player vote or by the commissioner. The pitchers for the National League: Max Scherzer, Jacob Degrom, John Lester, Aaron Nola, uh, Mike Fultonewix of the Braves, Josh Hader, Sean Doolittle, Brad Hand, Patrick Corbin, uh, Miles Mikolas, Felipe Vasquez. I know I just butchered uh, Miles's name. Nick Halper would be uh, very upset at me, but. Uh, and Kenley Jansen, those are your pitchers for the the National League. And then you look at the reserves. 
You have Buster Posey, Joey Votto, Ozzy Albies, Eugenio Suarez, Trevor Story, Lorenzo Cain, Christian Yelich, Charlie Blackman, Paul Goldschmidt, Scooter Jeanette, and JT Real Muto. And I will get into the snubs in a second after I get through the American League. We'll start with the pitchers, Justin Verlander, uh, Corey Kluber, Chris Sale, Luis Severino, Garrett Cole. That is a heck of a, uh, a group of starters right there. Aroldis Chapman, Craig Kimbrell, Edwin Diaz, J.A. Happ, Joe Jimenez, Blake Trinan, Jose Barrios, and Trevor Bauer. And then their position player reserves were Salvador Perez, Mitch Moreland, who got a well-deserved all-star bid, Gleyber Torres, Alex Bregman, Francisco Lindor, George Springer, Mitch Hanniger, who got a well-deserved all-star bid, Michael Brantley, Nelson Cruz, and Shin Chu, who at his age just made his first all-star team, which was which was a neat story. So you take a look at snubs. Uh, so I want to go over a post from a guy on Reddit uh, who is RJASPA. So I don't know if he's going for RJASPA or just a bunch of letters. But uh, so he, over the past several weeks, has been putting out these all-star rosters if they were determined by uh, some type of war, right? So you take a look at the at the starters. The fans really got it right, um, as he points out. So you look at the, the starters by war. Um, the only difference uh, in the there's there's a few differences, but for the most part, the fans got it right. So if we did it just based off of war uh, in the National League, it would have been Real Muto, Freeman, Albies, Turner, Arenado, Kane, Schwarber, Marcakis, Goldschmidt, and in the American League, it would have been Stassi, Olsen, Altuve, Lindor, Ramirez, Trout, Betts, Judge, and Martinez. So they got it really right in the American League. The fans did, and in the National League, they still had uh, enough. They, you still had your Freddie Freeman. You had Nolan Arenado. Um, and, and stuff like that, but it's you, you take a look, you, you go further down, um, you, you look at the reserves, and that that's where it really starts. You start to see who didn't make this team that should have. Now I'm not going to go through every single player that should have made the All Star team that that didn't, because there's there's a lot of snubs, and there's always a lot of snubs every single year. There are a ton of players that you could say, well, they were deserving, and that's it. You know, it's just it's a roster crunch. Obviously, you, you can't put every single deserving player on the team. It's just it's just how it is. Are there ways to make sure you get the most deserving players? Yeah, and I'm going to get into that in a second. But you can't put every single player that's having a good season on the All-Star team. It's just not how it works. Is it upsetting? Yeah. Are there guys that get left off despite having good seasons all the time, every year? But there's only so much you can do. I think the biggest snub, uh, and this has been said a lot, was Blake Snell of the Tampa Bay Rays. Right now, Blake Snell, I'm not a big pitcher wins guy, but just, you know, for the sake of it, he's 12-4. and four. He's thrown 116 innings. He currently has a 2.09 ERA. Now, you look at his his peripherals, he has a 3.35 FIP and a 3.48 XFIP. Um, so, you know, is he getting a little lucky? You know, maybe a little bit, but overall, he's having a phenomenal season. He's holding... Uh, he's, he's striking out over 10 guys per nine innings. He's walking only 3.4. You take a look at some of his, his advanced statistics. Uh, he's getting a strikeout 28.8% of the time. His walk percentage is under 10%. He's holding opposing batters under a 200 batting average. Right now it's at .182. He's left 88.2% of runners on base this year. His ERA minus is astounding at 52, and his FIP minus is at 83. Uh, as I say, he's striking out. Uh, over 10 batters per nine innings. He's letting up less than one home run per nine innings. So by by every statistic, Snell is having a, an excellent season. And yet, I think I saw the statistic was he was the first ERA leader in a league to be left off of an all-star roster in 17 years. So it's not very often this happens. And people kind of wonder how it happens. Uh, so Chris Archer, who is Snell's teammate, he put out 
uh, this thing on Twitter last night. He put it out at 7.53, so like less than an hour after the All-Star rosters were announced. And he put it out, and he put some statistics, and he said, I know how, referring to how he was left off the roster. He said, because we as players, the ones who vote for the pitchers, didn't do our due diligence. We have to collectively take the time and effort to responsibly fill out our ballots. It's totally on us, and I'm calling out everyone who didn't take the energy to determine who is the most deserving to represent our game in the Midsummer Classic. This stuff matters. Let's be better in all bold. Blake Snell is an all-star, not an alternate replacement or backup. And I agree with Archer 100%. Blake Snell, there's no reason why Blake Snell should not be in the all-star game. Is he going to be a replacement? Absolutely. He'll be one of the first replacements they call up. But he shouldn't have to get to that point. He should have been an all-star regardless. And then Justin Verlander responded to Chris Archer and said something very interesting that not a lot of people knew. I didn't even know this. So Verlander said this a few minutes later, also because we vote way too early. And I have to, he, he emphasized that. He's like way with like three A's. So you know he's serious about it. Uh, Verlander said, could easily punch in our votes on an iPad a couple days before instead of, and this was shocking to a lot of people, the old school envelope weeks before. So to, to put this in perspective, it's 2018, and we're at a point still where the league is having players write out who they think should make the All-Star game and put it in an envelope and mail it in. You can only assume at some point in late May or early June. That's insane. It's 2018. With, with all this reliance we have on technology in 2018, you're still having these players fill out just uh, like a form and then mail it back? That's insane. That should not happen in 2018, and you, it, it's it's easy to see now why, because it's like, this is the first time I think a lot of people are hearing about this. It's easy to see why, you know, the players are under duress every single year for, like, oh, how did they vote in this guy but not this guy? Number one, it's because they vote too early, and number two, it's because they have to vote by envelope. It's insane. It's 2018, and we're still voting by, by envelope. So I'm interested to see if something changes next year just because of the the kind of the backlash that we've seen already this year, and it's not even been a full 24 hours. I'm interested to see if something changes next year. Maybe they say, okay, well, yeah, Verlander is right. So these guys can just vote on, on iPads a couple days before. And I think that would do, that would, that would be, it's, it's a solid alternative. I don't know. Is it the best? I, I don't know, but it's, it's an option for sure. But Snell definitely was the, was the big snub that, that I saw. We go further in. There was a statistic that I saw from ESPN, it said 23 of the top five position players by war either made the all-star team or they are part of the final vote. The only two that did it were Jed Lowry and Matt Chapman. And you guessed it, both of them play for the Oakland Athletics. Now, Oakland is having a hell of a season. I believe the last I checked, I actually have, yeah, so I have the standings up right here. Oakland is 50 and 40 this year. Any other year, they're right in the thick of the playoff race. But Boston is 62 and 29, Houston is 61 and 31, the Yankees are 58 and 29, and Seattle is 57 and 34. So Oakland finds themselves not only 10 games back in the division, but six and a half back in the wildcard race. Any other year, they're right in the playoff race. If they're in the National League, they're in a playoff spot. But any, you know, this year it's unfortunate for them. But this year they are, it's they got the you know what end of the of the stick, right? No matter what they do, unless Seattle completely collapses in the second half of the season, they're, you know, Oakland's not going to make the playoffs. And it's a shame, 
but it's it's just what happens. The American League, they the top tier teams are stacked, uh, and Oakland just they're just you know a little ways out, which is a shame. And that's you know it kind of contributes to how people see these players in the athletics. They're like, oh, this team's in third place. They you know they can't be you know that great. And it, you take a look at Jed Lowry. He's having one of the best seasons, arguably the best season of his career at at age 34, which is insane. I keep saying that. That's the word of the day, insane. We're going to go with that. Uh, so he's he's slashing 290, 357, 507. His weighted on base average is 370. His WRC plus is 139. So put that into perspective too. Bryce Harper has a WRC plus of 122. He's one of the you know the most promising young players in the league. Jed Lowry at 34 has a WRC plus of 139. He has 16 home runs, which is tied for his career high. So one more home run, that's his career high. He set that back in 2012 with the Astros. He's drawing a walk 9.1% of the time. He's striking out less than 20% of the time. He has 62 RBIs, and his bat is at 329. So it's not like he's getting insanely lucky. Jed Lowry is having a hell of a season. He should definitely be on the All-Star. I mean, look at his teammate in the infield, Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman is 25 years old. He was their first-round pick back in 2014. He's slashing 256. So once again, we go back to the batting average. Oh, he's his batting average is only 256. He can't be that good. You say that, you look at his on-base percentage of 350, his slug percentage of 450, his WRC plus of 124. He has he only has 10 home runs uh, and 26 RBIs, but he's drawing a walk 11% of the time. He's striking out 23% of the time, but we go back to those defensive metrics. He's among the, the best defensive third baseman in baseball. You look at his UZR. Um, per 150 innings this year. He's actually improved from last year. Last year is at 12.7. This year it's 14.8. That's you know that's towards the top when it comes to third baseman. So you could really make a case that both Lowry and Chapman deserve to to make this list. And it's you know you look at the the starters um, per WAR. Matt Olson also had a had a had a shot too. As I said, you know you could could you make a case for Abreu? Yeah, would you? Olsen maybe be a better shot? Yeah, yeah. I, I would rather have Olsen in the starting lineup than, than Jose Abreu. If we're going by war, Olsen deserved it. Absolutely. So it's And obviously, I, I can't stress this enough either. I love sabermetrics. War isn't the end-all, be-all. But it's still just a nice way to see who's been doing well. You go past the, the athletics. The other player in the American League that I want to talk about is is Eddie, Eddie Rosario, of course, of the Minnesota Twins. Rosario right now is uh, 26 years old. He's finally putting it all together. So he had a solid season last year uh, in 2017. This year he has gone above and beyond. So this year he's hitting over 300. He has an on-base percentage of 342. He's slugging 536. His WRC plus is at 136. Uh, he's really contributing on offense. Right now, he has 18 home runs. He has 53 RBIs. He scored 58 runs. He has six stolen bases. He's striking out 17% of the time. He's drawing a walk close to 6% of the time. Rosario has been one of the better outfielders in in baseball this year, and uh, I think that he definitely he deserves a spot uh, as well. Now, I believe that he got one of the um, I believe he got one of the the final vote yeah he's so he got one of the he's in the final vote but I don't really think he should even be in the final vote he probably should have made the all-star team regardless I probably would have put him in over a guy like a Michael Brantley um that's just a personal thing I know Brantley's a solid player but I probably would have placed him in there over Brantley it's just it's just a personal thing 
Um, just what I look for. But Rosario definitely had a case. He moved now to the National League. Uh, a couple guys that I wanted to talk about. Number one is is Kyle Schwarber. Now I believe he is also in that in that final vote. Uh, oh wait, no, no, he's not. He's not even in the final vote. So Schwarber is not even in the final vote. Uh, so he was definitely snubbed for for sure. Schwarber is having the I'd say the best season of his career uh, at this point. Last year he had 30 home runs. This year he's on pace um, to at least hit that, if not hit more. He's walking more, so last year his walk percentage was 12.1. This year it's 16.6. He's striking out less. Once again, last year is at 30.9% for his strikeout percentage. This year it's at 26.7. He's hitting 249. So once again, batting average. We look at the batting average, but you go to on-base percentage at 376. His slug percentage is just a couple ticks under 500 at 498, a WRC plus of 129. And he's actually done pretty well defensively per the defensive metrics. So Schwarber is having, as I said, the best season of his career. This year he has 17 home runs, 39 RBIs. He's stolen a few bags. He's having a very solid season for the Chicago Cubs, and I think he's kind of been overshadowed, um, which is a shame. But Schwarber definitely a snub. He's a guy that I would have loved to see in the in the All-Star game. Max Muncy, another one. This is a guy that no one really knew coming into the year. So this is a guy that was picked by the Athletics in the 2012 draft in the fifth round. He's 27 years old. He never, so he made his major league debut back in 2015 and he didn't do much with it. Then he was back in the majors in 2016. He didn't do much. He spent uh, all, mainly all of 2017 with the Dodgers AAA affiliate. Uh, and he did he did pretty well this year. He spent nine games with the Dodgers AAA affiliate. Uh, he was doing well once again. He had a 152 WRC plus uh, down in AAA. The Dodgers call him up, and in in 67 games, he's been one of the more impressive stories in in all of baseball. This is a guy that you know was out of baseball for for a little bit before he got a call, and now he's back in baseball. He's been one of the best players this year. He's his walk percentage is an astounding 18.5 percent. He's striking out 23.8% of the time. He has 20 home runs. That's among the league leaders. 38 RBIs. He's hitting 270. His on-base percentage is 407, and his slug percentage is 610. So he's OPSing above 1,000. His weighted on-base average is 425. His WRC Plus is 173. All this despite a BABIP that is kind of under league average at 279. So Max Muncy has been phenomenal for the Dodgers. He's kind of helped take them you remember there was that point where they were they were at the bottom of the of the NL West they were behind the Padres at one point and he Max Muncy kind of helped them you know get out of that he was such a consistent offensive threat for them and now the Dodgers find themselves right back in the in the playoff race they sit right now at 48 and and 41 they're one game back in the division of the of the Diamondbacks two games back in the wild card Muncy's a big reason for that and I think you know for a guy that a lot of people didn't know who he was coming into the year. It's he deserves an all-star bid for for sure. And it's it's upsetting because he's in the final vote. Will he make it? I don't know, but I don't think he should have to even worry about being in the final vote. He should have made the all-star team regardless. So those are just some of my personal big snubs. As I said, I know there were a lot more that that I did not talk about. But it's just, you know, I, I could go on for an hour and a half about people that should have made the All-Star team that, that didn't. I didn't want to do that. I didn't think it would be that entertaining. So I just wanted to talk about some of the some of the bigger ones that I personally wrote down when I when I saw the, the All-Star rosters announced. I was like, all right, where's this guy? So those are like the, the big six. Uh, a couple other things I want to talk about with the, with the All-Star game. There's questions that came up. You know, should van voting be a thing? Should there be one representative per team? Are there any other issues? Things that I really wanted to talk about. I'm fine with with fan voting to an extent. 
Um, I think, I don't know what the alternative would be. I think it's a good way to get fans involved, but maybe it shouldn't count for so much. Maybe it should only, like, so, like, for example, in schools, like, grades are weighted, for example, so some things are worth more than others. Maybe fan votes should be a part of it, but they're not, they don't tell the entire story. So maybe it should be weighted to where the fan votes are not worth as much as, say, you know, something else. So someone suggested maybe, oh, instead of fan voting, maybe we just do stats. Uh, and that's fine, but that you get to a point where, okay, well, what stats do you use? And then it kind of gets flawed in, in that regard. I think fan voting is fine. I'm, I, I'm kind of whelmed with fan voting. I'm fine if it stays. I'm fine if they find another alternative. It's just that alternative has to be you know, something solid. It can't just be, all right, well, we're going to get rid of fan voting. We're just going to let the uh, the players and the managers decide who gets in because that's you can't do that. You have to have a solid idea in in place. So it's I'm personally of the mind that it, the fans got it right this year for, for the most part. There's a couple things maybe that you could have a gripe with, but for the most part, the fans got it right this year, which is the first time in a while I think we've been able to say that. Norman's like, oh, how, how stupid are these fans? that they put this guy in, but they didn't vote for this guy. They got it right this year for the most part. And I think they're finally starting to come around to a lot of these, you know, underlying statistics. So they got it right. Um, I think fan voting was fine this year. It wasn't an issue. Is it going to be fine in the future? I don't know. We've seen issues in the past with it um, to the point where teams kind of, there was that point where the Royals were, their, their fans were kind of stuffing the ballot box. And then guys like Omar and Fonte were up towards the, towards the top for, for no reason whatsoever. So that's definitely an issue. Um, my my theory, maybe just wait it a little bit. Uh, you know, maybe have them that way. Fans can still feel like they're contributing. But you know, if there's a guy that definitely deserves to be in there over someone that the fans are voting in, maybe then you know that's that's where the weight comes in. But I don't know. That's it's something I would have to sit down and really figure out what the alternative is. The bigger thing, one representative per team. So this was this has been an issue for for a while now. I would I would say. This was so I've I've switched sides. I'm gonna say this. Um, so a couple years ago, and you can ask one of my friends about this. His name is Matt Howe. I would love to get him on the podcast at some point too. Uh, I worked with him at RCBC Z889 for a couple years, and we did a podcast together along with a couple other guys. For uh, I think we reached 15 episodes, I suppose, before we all went our separate ways. Uh, he knows what he's talking about with sports. He was on the side of the the one rep per team rule is kind of stupid. And at the time, I took the other side. I was like, yeah, well, no, it's I understand why they do it. I kind of like it because then it gives you know guys from teams that maybe aren't having a great season, uh, gives them a chance to make the All Star game, it gives their fans something to look forward to, and you know all that is true. But I've kind of reached the other side of that point. Uh, it's some so you look at the NBA right now. It's obviously drastically different like situations. But they don't require one player from each of the, you know, the 15 teams in each conference. They it's they just take the best players in the league. And I'm kind of try I'm kind of getting to that point now with Major League Baseball to where if we got rid of the one representative per team, it, I think we would have better all-star rosters. Like would it lead to maybe the possibility of a guy on uh you know a lower tier team that's not doing very well missing out you know there's the possibility of that but if that player is doing extremely well you know it's they're gonna make it anyway I think if we get rid of that one representative per team these all-star rosters are gonna start looking a lot better I think there'd be fewer snubs because now we're we're kind of forced to there's there's years and I'm not gonna say if there it happened this year I'm not gonna say if it's happened in the past 
but there's there's going to be years where some guy from, I, I don't know, a bad, let, let's say the Royals, hypothetically. There's going to be some guy, because the Royals aren't going to be good for a while, um, you know, another few years. There's going to be a point where, you know, the Royals, they, they don't have any phenomenal players, so they they the player that gets selected is just having like, okay, okay he's having a solid year, but is it worth an all-star bid? No. There's going to be times when that happens with this rule, so I think you definitely get rid of it. Uh, it does it hurt some teams? I guess. Um, would some fan bases be upset that their team doesn't have an all star? I, I, it's hard to say um, because it's. I don't know. I feel like the fan bases maybe at first they'd be like, "Oh, my team doesn't have an all star," but like as a Sixers fan, right? Uh, we went through the the process years where the team wasn't winning a lot and they didn't have any all stars. Did I care? No. Like I was. <laughs> I was fine with it. Like, nobody deserved it. Like, I would have hated to have just, like, some... Like, I would have hated to have to select one player from those Sixers teams that to to make the, the All-Star game. Um, so, I think I'm kind of on the side now to where maybe we should get rid of that rule uh, and just let the best players make it, and I think that would definitely help out the, the All-Star teams. Other issues I kind of already went through, it's just the, the player voting, uh, the fact that they vote through envelopes, uh, in 2018, instead of as Verlander says, just doing it on an iPad a couple of days before, that's that's an issue, and I think it's something that they really have to to rectify pretty soon uh, if they want to avoid having as much snubs as they did this year. But that that was really it with the with the All Star rosters for for me. As I said, a couple snubs, and it's fine for all y'all to have your your own opinions. Uh, All Star games in in every sport, the NBA, the NHL, MLB, and then to an extent the Pro Bowl for the NFL. There's always, you know, there's always opinions of, oh, this guy shouldn't have made it. This guy should make it. Uh, there's always differing opinions, which is the cool thing. Uh, we're all allowed to have different opinions. So uh, definitely let me know. Uh, connect with me on social media. Uh, let me know who, what snubs that maybe I missed that I didn't talk about. Guys that you think should have made it. I uh, definitely love to love to hear about it. The other thing I want to talk about with Major League Baseball, this is something that I was not able to talk about with Nick Halper, even though I planned on it was the wild card game. So we take a look at the regular season standings, and this is more of a concern in the American League. So Boston and the Yankees, Boston 62 and 29, the Yankees are 58 and 29, and then in the AL West, Houston 61 and 31, Seattle's 57 and 34. Two of those teams are going to have to play in the stupid wild card game that's one and done. So we could have a case where there's at least one 100 win team in the American League wild card game. And they could hypothetically not make it to the ALDS. That is extremely stupid. Like, the word of the day was insane. That's insane. So I think they really need to to rework, especially... I, I, I'd be surprised if there's not conversations about it after the American League wildcard game this year. They need to find a way to improve how it's it's done. And I'm, I'm of the belief that there's there's an easy way to do it. And this was something that uh, Travis Sawchick of Fangraphs, he proposed this back in September of 2017, so just last baseball season. Uh, he included some some statistics. Uh, so uh, the I, I want to give a quote first. So he said, The new format isn't without its flaws, the most prominent of which, in the opinion of this author, is this. The number one wildcard can be a significantly better team than the number two wildcard, but is nevertheless subject to playing in something of a coin flip game after the grind of a 162-game season. It can be pretty unfair to have, say, a 98-win team lose to an 86-win team in a one-game playoff. 
And it's he's absolutely 100% right. Uh, I know it's it, it depends what side you're on, right? Like, so if you're the 86-win team, you're like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's just winner take all. I guess you guys didn't show up. But if you're the 98-win team, a uh, fan of that team, you're like, oh, this is so stupid. We had such a better season only to lose in a, in a play-in game, essentially. So I understand both sides. Uh, I'm more now on the side of playing a essentially what is a playing game they called it a wild card game to make it seem like you make the playoffs it's a playing game uh, I think it's stupid uh, I think that they need to find another way to do it now my um, proposal and this is something that's been kind of passed around the internet I know I think Theo Epstein yeah so Theo Epstein proposed this back in in 2015 he proposed a best of three format um, I don't really agree with with that I would not go to best of three but he said something interesting. He said the best of three would include a double header to reduce the days involved. I'm not for the best of three, but I am. I, I my proposal is just a double header to where the the home team they only have to win once, but the road team they have to win twice. Now he the uh, provided some statistics here in in this article. So uh, he said. Uh, the home team in baseball has a 54% chance to win any one game with all the other factors being equal. So he goes on to calculate it. He says the lower wildcard seed would have a 44% chance to emerge from a best of three format and a 41% chance of emerging from a best of seven series. So it still doesn't really help out the the home team that much if you do that best of three that that Theo pr- proposed. Now, what Sawchick proposed, and which what I agree with, is just one doubleheader. And this this is already done in professional baseball. This is done over in Korea in the K- Korea. I said Korean Korea and the KBO. Uh, so it's the wild card round over there. It's just a doubleheader. It's just two games. And as I said, my proposal: the lower seed, uh, who would be the road team. They have to win twice, whereas the number one seed, the top wildcard team, they only have to win once. So uh, as Sawchick says, I'm going to quote him again, while a best of three series reduces the chance of an upset by just a few percentage points from 46 to 44, the KBO format reduces the percentage chance of an upset from 46% to 21%. So it's there's, there's a couple... Advantages number one: If you're the that top wildcard team, statistically you have a much better shot to advance to the to the AL or NLDS than you would in the current format, and then you would in in a best of three format. Um, another advantage is that you can just it, it wouldn't take any more travel days. Uh, for example, with the best of three, you know you'd have to extend the schedule out a little more, and then you'd be hypothetically playing postseason baseball into November. Whereas with this, you're not changing anything. You're still playing only on one day. It's just hypothetically a double header. You could start the first game, you know, earlier in the day, and then if you need to play a second game, it's later in the day. So, it's there's two advantages, two clear advantages to this. The the most important uh, is that the number one seed statistically has roughly an 80% chance to advance to the to the next round, and I think that's fair. It's a lot fairer than it is right now when they have roughly a 60% chance. So I, I think especially after the American League wildcard game this year when some team doesn't make it out. Um, so hypothetically, let's say the Yankees win over 100 games and the Mariners win like 93, let's say. Um, if the Mariners somehow beat the Yankees in that wildcard game, we're going to see, we're going to hear um, the all these proposals. 
And I think it, it's fair. Um, it's not just going to be because it's the Yankees. It's just going to be because it's, it's such a flawed system right now. The idea of adding a second wildcard team was good. The way they did it was not good. So I think if you take that KBO format and you implement it into, into the Major League Baseball, you, you're going to have a much better time. Because the way it is right now, it's it's not great. So I think you implement the, the doubleheader uh, as the wildcard game. And I think the ratings would actually be be pretty good with that. You know, there'd be a lot more intrigue. And most importantly, you give that top team a better chance to advance, which is how it should be. It's, it definitely is how it should be. So that was the Major League Baseball portion of this of the Ryan Wall Sports Podcast here on July 9th. We're now going to move over to the NBA. Um, just a couple things I want to talk about, just hit on pretty quickly. Uh, there's not too much going on in the NBA right now. Of course, uh, free agency is, is in full swing, but that was really last week. A lot of the big stuff was happening. Uh, not a lot of big stuff has happened recently. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about was Isaiah Thomas. Uh, one of my friends texted me late last night. He was like, oh, Isaiah Thomas is still out there. Where do you think he should go? And it, it kind of hit me like, oh, yeah, this this guy is still out there, which is, which is pretty crazy. So you remember that he had a phenomenal year for the, for the Celtics a couple years back, and then he did the whole thing where his sister passed away, and he still played for the Celtics, this, that, and the other. Um... And then, of course, they trade him to Cleveland. Then he ends up going to the Lakers. And then he's now a free agent at the age of 29. It was a guy who was looking potentially at a max deal um, at one point. Not this year. Not this offseason, obviously. But there was a point where people were saying, oh, is he going to get a max deal? No. Uh, not He's he's not going to be close to, to getting a max deal. And he's still out there. So you look at the good fits. It's difficult. Because you look at Isaiah Thomas. He's 29 years old. He's going to be 30 in February. He's 5'9", so already he's at a disadvantage. And that fact has already been overstated, his height, so many times. Uh, it's He's getting towards the wrong age. He, he has the hip issue, and especially the way he plays, it's it's difficult to envision him you know, being good for much longer just because of the hip injury. He likes to drive to the basket a lot. His size, just all those things, they contribute to a, a very big risk. Uh, and the fact that defensively he's probably one of the wor- five or ten worst defensive guys in the in the NBA. So you take a look at how he did last year. He only played in 32 games total. He played in 15 with the Cavaliers, 17 with the with the Los Angeles Lakers. He averaged 26.9 minutes per contest. He scored 15.2 points. He averaged 4.8 assists, and he contributed 2.1 rebounds. So he averaged 15, 5, and 2. That's is there room for that in the NBA? Yeah, uh, it's he's going to be a bench player. So I don't. The theory of why he's still out there is that he's asking for too much money, and to that I kind of I kind of understand why he would probably because this might be his last chance to kind of make some money um, at this point in his career. But it's I think he kind of has to take a step back and understand that he's his value is is shot. It's the lowest it's been in in quite some time. He, it's he's not the guy who averaged close to 30 points for the Celtics during that 2016 season. He's he's not close to that player anymore. He's never going to be that player anymore. Even if you gave him the minutes, he's still never going to be that player again. Which is fine. It's just he's you have he has to understand that he's not worth what he think. I, I, once again, I don't know if it's true, but if it's true that he's he wants more money, he has to understand that he's not worth what he thinks he's worth. He needs to take, you know, a shorter deal, like a Boogie Cousins, right? Like, he needs to take a one-year deal around, like, $5 million. Like, I think that's probably fair for a guy like Isaiah Thomas. 
the the problem is he asked where do you think he should go there's not a lot of good fits for him in the league so when it comes to point guards teams already have either their star point guard or they have this young athletic guy that they need to give the minutes to they're not going to give those minutes to a 29 year old who's 59 with hip injury issues that's on the the downswing of his career they're not going to do that and most of these teams already have this young point guard that they'd rather see instead of Isaiah Thomas. So there's not a lot of really landing options for IT. I think there's really only two good ones. The first one is the is the Pelicans, but I don't know what their cap situation necessarily would, would look like at this point if they brought in IT. You look at their guards on that team, they have Drew Holiday, you have Etwan Moore, you just signed Alfred Payton, and you just traded for... Or no, they didn't just trade for. Uh, that's the other team got to talk about. So, you have Frank Jackson um, on the team as well. They traded him with uh, with Charlotte last year. Uh, you have Tony Carr. He was drafted in the second round this year. So it's there's room for a guard on that team. I don't know how much time it would get uh, on this roster. I'd say you know maybe twenty or so minutes a game, which is which is fine. But it's I don't it's I don't really see him on the Pelicans. I think. A lot of people have said Orlando, and that's really the other team that I've kind of seen. So right now, um, the way it's it's slated, they were the team that just traded for a guard. They were just traded for Jerry and Grant from the Bulls a couple days ago. So you look at this team, uh, DJ Augustine is their starting point guard currently per roster resource projected. Uh, you have Evan Fournier as your starting two guard. As I said, you just traded for Jerry and Grant. You have Terrence Ross on the team. Uh, and that's, that's really it in terms of guard. So I think... I, IT, he would have a spot on the Magic. I'd say he could get maybe 20 to 25 minutes on this Magic team, which is, you know, pretty young. You have a guy like a Fournier, he's only 25. You bring in Jonathan Simmons from the Spurs a year ago. He's 28, but Aaron Gordon's 22. Vucevic is 27. You, Jonathan Isaac, who was your first-round pick last year, is 20. Mo Bamba, who was your first-round pick this year, is 20. So it's, it's a relatively young team, uh, I'd say. There's a lot of young pieces there. I think IT would have a spot on the Magic. I think that's probably his best place. Are they going to win a lot of games just because they sign him? No. Uh, it's, they're still not going to be a very good team this year, but I think it would give him a chance to kind of build up his stock again uh, as as opposed to what it is now. It's, I'm not going to say his stock is at rock bottom, but it's it's pretty close, I would say. So it's I think Orlando is, is a good spot for him. Uh, that's I think if you had to ask me today, that's probably – where he's gonna go? He's not gonna. He's not gonna find himself on a good team. Uh, and if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll admit it. I'll say I'm wrong. But I just don't see him going to a good team. There's not a lot of teams out there that need a guy like Isaiah Thomas. I think the Magic are one of the the one or two that could maybe use him. Um, but he'll fi- he'll be on a team um, when the season rolls around. I just don't know what team. My goal, my guess is the is the Magic. But just have to wait and see. He'll get signed by a team. We'll just have to see what team ends up taking the chance, and we'll see if he can maybe recoup some of his value. The other thing I want to talk about is Carmelo Anthony. So the Thunder said that they were not going to take bring him back. Obviously, he opted into his contract, but the, the Thunder said, no, you're not coming back. So there's four teams, according to Kevin O'Connor, that are currently in the running. There's Houston, there's the Lakers, there's the Heat, and then a surprise team, I was shocked when I heard this, was the was the 76ers. Uh, as a 76ers fan, I it, I don't know, like even for $1.5 million, I still don't know if I would want him just because it's I, we already have so many players already, then you bring in somebody else, it just that's, that's it just adds to the roster crunch. So I was talking to this this same friend um 
uh, a, a couple days ago, and he was like, oh, what do you think our roster is gonna gonna look like here um, coming up? And I, I told him this. So you look at the Sixers roster, right? Uh, you'll have Simmons, Reddick, Covington, Sharch, and Embiid. Now, this is assuming they don't trade for Kawhi because that, that just changes everything. But assuming they don't trade for Kawhi, you're looking at Simmons, Reddick, Covington, Sharch, Embiid. And you look at the bench, you have Fultz, um, who I'm saying this. I, I got to put this out here right now. He's going to be really good this year. I really trust Drew Hanlon. He's going to be a very good player this year, Markel Fultz. I'm putting it out there right now. Not that I haven't put it, you know, said it before, but Fultz is going to be an extremely good player in the NBA. He's going to prove everybody wrong this year. So just putting that out there right now, that way we can come back when he starts doing well, can look at the July 9th episode of this podcast. Like, oh, I was right. Okay. So you had Markel Fultz, um, Wilson Chandler, who they get. That was, by the way, a very good trade. I saw a lot of Sixers fans were pissed. Like, oh, the, the, you talk about star hunting and this is who you get, Brett Brown. It was a good trade. You got Wilson Chandler and two second round picks for, for nothing. You got it for $110,000. You get a defensive wing who can hit the three for $110,000, and you're going to complain about that? Stop it. Just stop. You get Bielka, um, who was on the Timberwolves. He's a nice wing player. You bring in Zaire Smith, obviously, in the first round. TJ McConnell still going to be here. Justin Anderson, uh, Frickin' Corkmaz, who has looked very good in the Summer League thus far. Um, and obviously, you can't really tell Summer League. Somebody said something th- about the Summer League a couple years ago that I really kind of agreed with. They said, you can't tell who's going to be a really good player in the NBA just based off Summer League, but you can tell who doesn't belong in the NBA. And Frickin' Corkmaz, he's not one of those guys. You can tell that he belongs. Um so you'll have him. Jonah Bolden is supposedly coming over. He'll be on the team. And then Amir Johnson. Those are 14 guys right there. And then you have one of Landry Shamit, Shake Milton, TLC, um, and maybe Demetrius Jackson. So there's not really room for Melo on that team. I wouldn't want to – it's – I don't know. Like for $1.5 million, a guy that can hit the three, it's still useful. But I'm fine with the team we have now. If they get Melo, I'd be – I feel like it's because they have a trade for Kawhi in place and they're just trying to get some depth and that's why they would get mellow. But other than that, I just, I can't see why the Sixers would be, would have any interest in, in a guy like Carmelo. Whereas with the Rockets, I kind of understand he was, he was linked there last year before he went to OKC. I think he's going to end up going to Houston. I saw a report, I forget who reported it, but he said that like Carmelo's guys were with like Houston's top executives. They were like watching a summer league game together. So I think at the end of the day, he will end up going to, to Houston. I'd be shocked if he goes to Los Angeles. I'd be shocked if he went to Miami. Uh, as I said, the 76ers, it's, I, I just don't see it. So I think Houston's the most likely destination, but it's, it's, you know, it's fun that we're hearing rumors about Melo. Uh, it's, it's kind of neat to the point where some people are saying, oh, Melo is so overrated, this and that. I kind of think it's getting to a point where he's getting a little underrated. Um, people are saying he's washed up, he can't do anything. He still has a spot in today's NBA. It's just he needs to be fine with coming off the bench for not a ton of money and just coming out there to, you know, not ha- get a ton of shots, just, you know, get hit the three and just, you know, get a couple, you know, get some points when the team needs it. But I think if he kind of takes a step back, looks himself in the mirror and just, realize what kind of player he is now, not what kind of player he was 10 years ago. Uh, I think that, you know, it'll, he still has a place in this league for sure. But that was really all I wanted to hit on with the, with the National Basketball Association, the, the NBA. We're going to end this podcast with some NASCAR. Oh, oh yeah, NASCAR, left turn. Woohoo. Uh, so if you don't want to listen to NASCAR uh, talk, just be sure to 
uh, leave a rating on the podcast. I would really appreciate it just to let me know. Connect with me on social media. Let me know what you think about the podcast so far. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's NASCAR, right? So um, I'm assuming that everyone that doesn't want to listen to NASCAR is gone now, so we're going to talk about it. So it was the Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona this past Saturday, July 7th. For the casual fan, it was an extremely entertaining race. Um, for me, I'm more than a casual fan. I still thought it was good. Some people said there were, you know, too much wrecks and stuff. It was kind of like a demolition derby, which isn't entertaining. I wouldn't go that far. Um, I still think it was a very good race. So you take a look just at the top 10. Eric Jones, that Jones boy, he locked himself into a playoff spot with a win. Uh, he led one lap, which was the final lap, uh, and he wins the race in the number 20 car, the Toyota. So he gets his first career win and locks himself into the playoffs. Martin Truex Jr. in that 78 car finishes second. A.J. Allmendinger third. Casey Kane fourth. Kane had a shot at the win, but it seemed like everything he did towards the end of the race was just the wrong decision. He had a shot at the win, but overall, at the end of the day, he finishes fourth. And then Chris Busher finishes fifth. So the two JTG boys, Allmendinger and Busher, they finished in the top five, three, and five, respectively. Ty Dillon finishes 6th. Matt Benedetto finishes 7th. That was the best finish for GoFast in their history. It wasn't the best finish for Benedetto. He had a better finish at Bristol with BK Racing. But he gave GoFast their best finish ever of 7th. Uh, he was actually the top finishing Ford in the race. Ryan Newman finished 8th. Austin Dillon ninth. So a couple of uh, Richard, Childress, Richard Childress racing cars finished 8th and ninth. And then Alex Bowman of Hendrick finishes 10th. He was the highest finishing Hendrick car. You look. You go further down. Jeffrey Earnhardt finishes 11th in the seven car. Brennan Gaughan finishes 12th. DJ Kennington finishes 13th. Bubba Wallace 14th. David Reagan 15th, and then Ray Black Jr. finishes 16th in the Ray Ware Racing Car. It's that's it's interesting because when you have all these wrecks in a restricted plate race like this, and it's it's what I referred to on Friday. Everyone has a shot. It's not just everyone has a shot to win. Everyone has a shot to get like these really good finishes that you wouldn't expect. Like a guy like a Jeffrey Earnhardt, a Brendan Gaughan, a DJ Kennington, a Ray Block Jr. There is no other racetrack except for Daytona and Talladega where those guys have a shot to finish in the top 16. And yet you look at them, they all had extremely good runs just because especially this race, it was it was it was a race of attrition. It was can you stay out of trouble long enough to be there at the end? And give credit to those guys, they they were. They were right there at the end, and they got really good finishes, not only for themselves, but for their teams as well. And you, you look at you know a guy like Eric Jones, who's obviously going to celebrate because he won. You look at some of these guys like a Jeffrey Earnhardt, they were celebrating a lot because they finished 11th, and that's like really good for a team like that. That's why they were celebrating like that as much as they were. Uh, and then you just look at, you look further down the list, uh, you have Kevin Harvick, he finishes 19th, uh, Clint Boyer 22nd, Johnson 23rd, Lana Castle brought it home at 24th, which was which is a good finish for him. Uh, it's, it's surprising. So he had to um, come in to fix, I believe it was the battery, um, very early on in the race, and he still managed to finish 24th in this race. Uh, a lot of the big names, so a guy like Kyle Larson finished 29th, Kyle Busch 33rd, Chase Elliott 34th, Suarez 35th, Keselowski 36th, Kurt Busch 37th, Danny Hamlin 38th, Joey Logano 39th, and then Ryan Blaney finished in last place. Uh, so just a quick recap of this race. So the first stage um, wasn't wasn't too bad. Uh, it was pretty pretty you know it was, it was a clean first stage. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. won the stage, and then we get to the second stage, and that's that's when all the shit hit the fan, and that's when all this started. So you look at the the second stage. So the there the first really real caution um, of the race. 
occurred. Um, it was down the backstretch. It was roughly halfway through the second stage. I want to say it was lap like 50 or, or something. So they're racing down the backstretch. William Byron is in the lead at this point. Um, and behind him, there's Keselowski and there's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, so they're racing down the backstretch. Keselowski tries to go down to the inside of Byron. Byron throws the block. So Keselowski has to lift. Uh, and that point, Ricky, he just kept going full throttle. He hits the back of Keselowski and it started what we thought was going to be the big one. Um, the only one in the race. Um, and that's the race that took, that's the, that's the wreck that took out a lot of big names because it happened right at the front of the field. So a lot of the big names, they got taken out. This was the one that took out Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano and Denny Hamlin and Kurt Busch, Keselowski, Suarez, Elliott. That was that wreck. That was the wreck that took out, you know, that group of drivers. And I think in total, 20 drivers um, or something were involved in that wreck too. Where not necessarily they all crashed out, but they got, you know, they were all involved in some capacity, which is which is insane. And that's what happens when there's a wreck at the front. When there's a wreck at the front, it's it's going to be bad. Like when it's towards like the middle or back of the pack, it's not going to be as bad. But when it's when it's at the front, there's going to be a lot of cars involved. So a lot of people, I said it too. I was like, oh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is an idiot. Now looking back, um, you could make the case that Byron um, maybe should not have thrown that block um, at that time, especially since it's only lap 50. Uh, you can make the case that Stenhouse should have lifted. He shouldn't have just slammed into the back of Keselowski. Uh, but you know, it's even if you don't think that it was Stenhouse's fault for the for the first wreck, there's you know there's a couple of different ways you could go with the first wreck. The second wreck was was definitely Stenhouse's fault. And now we're at you know we're roughly ten laps later. We're like lap sixty ish. Let's say sixty one or sixty two I want to say. So once again they're racing down. Uh Kyle Bush is is in front. So they're once again they're coming down the back stretch. The end turns three and four and Kyle Bush is is battling. He's battling with William Byron, um still who is who's out in front. Uh Kyle Bush is on the outside. Uh William Byron uh is on the inside. Stenhouse is on the inside as well. So Kyle Busch is kind of trying to side draft here um, as well as Stenhouse is trying to side draft as well. The problem with Stenhouse, uh, I, we, people don't know if he got tight or, or if he just didn't know maybe how close he was to Kyle Busch. He hits the left rear quarter panel of, of Kyle Busch. So that sends Kyle Busch going and that's how, that starts another crash. So that takes out Kyle Busch. It takes out William Byron. Uh, it takes out, I believe, Corey LaJoy and Jamie McMurray as, as well. So it's, that was, you know, there's more cars now that, that are out. That one, that was definitely Stenhouse's fault. And then not only that, I think Stenhouse got involved in like one or two more wrecks um, over the, the rest of the, of the race, which is, which is crazy. I know people are saying, oh, we got to park Ricky Stenhouse Jr. I was kind of on that bandwagon. It was just, he was causing so many issues. He won stages one and two. He won stage two because he took out half the field, but it, it was kind of insane, but the the one positive, if you're going to call it a positive, is is that it leads to all those good cars being out. It leads to you start to see some different people in the top 10. Uh, for the casual fan, you know, it's, you know, maybe not that interesting. But for someone like me, it's like, OK, well, I normally don't see Casey Kane contending for a win, especially anymore since he left Hendrick and now he's with LFR. You don't see Matt Benedetto in the top 10 a lot. You don't see, you know, a guy like a DJ Kennington in the top 15. And so it was interesting in, in that regard. Martin Truex Jr. really made it a hell of a race at the at the end. So there was a point when he dropped back because he didn't want to be in the pack. Uh, but then there was the concern, as the broadcasters were saying, that, oh, he might lose the draft, 
Well, he not only did not lose the draft, he shot his way back up towards the front, which was extremely entertaining. His car was extremely fast all night long, especially especially towards the end. It was like he almost didn't even need the draft. That's how fast his car was. Not only did he catch back up to the to the draft, he got back up into the top five after almost being like four and a half seconds back, like several laps prior, which was which was crazy to see how fast that his car was. So uh, he he almost won. I was I was really rooting for him not to win, not because I have anything against Truex. I think he's a great guy, but especially at a race like this where you have so many other people that have a chance to win that normally don't. I was really, really like, come on, come on. Like, give, give me Eric Jones. Give me Casey Kane. Give me Almondinger. Just give me somebody different. And luckily we did. We got Eric Jones, and he gets his first career win in the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. So we take a look at the at the standings here. Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick, they have already locked themselves in to a playoff spot. They are mathematically in. Um, they There's no way they can't make it. They were already in because of the wins, but now they are mathematically in. Uh, so Kyle Busch has five wins. Kevin Harvick has five wins with an asterisk because of that race early in the year that was kind of encumbered. So he has five wins with a star next to it. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. is third. He moves up a spot in the standings. Joey Logano is fourth. Truex has three wins. Logano has one win. Clint Boyer is locked in to the, the playoffs. Uh, he has two wins. Uh, Eric Jones is locked in. He has one win. And then Austin Dillon is locked in. He has one win as as well. So there's now one less spot available since Eric Jones won. As I said, this would be a perfect opportunity for a guy uh, who doesn't have a win yet to get a win and lock himself into the playoffs, and that's exactly what happened. Now you take a look at the at the point standings. Brad Keselowski is, is the first guy that does not have a win but is in on points. Uh, then it goes Kurt Busch, Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Eric Almirola, Ryan Blaney, Jimmy Johnson, Chase Elliott. Alex Bowman is on the cutoff. And Ricky Stenhouse Jr., I believe now, is 19 points back of Alex Bowman. So Ricky Stenhouse Jr. not only kind of screwed a lot of other people in that race, he screwed himself, too, because now he finds himself on the outside looking in. So Alex Bowman, the last guy that is in on points, and it's really just Ricky Stenhouse that's behind him. Paul Menard's like 50 or so points back, so... Menard is a guy that's going to need a win. Stenhouse still has a shot to race in on points, but he's really the last guy that has a chance to do that at this point. So Bowman, he is in that clinch position. He is now 16th right now. Uh, look ahead at the, the future for NASCAR. Uh, they race at Kentucky this Saturday on July 14th. We'll be sure to preview that in the Friday edition of the Ryan Wallace Sports Podcast. Then they go up to Loudoun, New Hampshire on July 22nd before ending July Racing at Pocono, they were just there at the beginning of June, and now they are back at the end of July. Before they go to August for the stretch run, five final races. They got a road course, a uh, short course. You got Darlington. You got Indianapolis as the cutoff. You're going to be at Michigan again, just like you were in July or June, I should say. So a lot of uh, really exciting stuff coming up for for NASCAR. It's We're coming to the stretch run here. Uh, still a lot of playoff positions available. I'm interested to see maybe who gets a win this Friday. Uh, definitely tune in to, to see my predictions. Uh, I, I got a couple of names in mind of who I'm going to pick for, for Friday or Saturday's race at, at Kentucky. So turn in, be sure to tune in to the Ryan Miles Sports Podcast on Friday to see a full preview for Kentucky and get my takes on maybe who might who might make it, uh, who might get that W at Kentucky. That'll just about do it for this episode of the Ryan Wallace Sports Podcast. I want to thank you for listening. I talked a lot about the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, the Wild Card Game. Talked a little bit about the NBA, and then we ended, of course, with some NASCAR, which is always fun. 
As a reminder, you can listen to this podcast on Anchor, Google Podcast, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher. Hopefully in the future, we'll be able to get it on some more services such as Apple. That's what I'm hoping for. That's the that's the next one on my list. But I want to thank you all for listening. Be sure to uh, catch me on my website at ryanwaldis.com. And connect with me on social media at Ryan Wallace, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. If you can name it, I'm probably on it. Love to talk to you about sports or, or whatever, really. So thank you once again for listening to the Ryan Wallace Sports Podcast, and I'll catch you again tomorrow. Oh, 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 oh